This is the Pearls and Swine podcast, giving hope and healing to those who are under toxic leadership, whether that's in the home or in the workplace. Periodically, I hear from people that they have been criticized by others for touching the Lord's anointed. Do not touch the Lord's anointed, an Old Testament terminology, uh, when they have brought up problems with a pastor or a Christian leader. And uh, in this particular podcast, I want to talk about that particular passage a little bit and about leadership and accountability. This is called Respect and Accountability. Touch not the Lord's anointed. If I didn't know the whole story, I would side with the people of Israel, Korah's group, as they stood up against Moses and Aaron. In Numbers 16.3, Korah says, You have gone too far. He's speaking to Moses. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? This statement by Korah and all his company in the wilderness following the exodus from Egypt is a beautiful summary of toxic leadership. Toxic leaders assume a place of prominence where Korah says you're exalting yourself, and they refuse to acknowledge the value of their subordinates, where he says all in the congregation are holy. However, Korah's analysis of Moses' leadership was wanting. Moses was specifically chosen by God to lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. God had prepared a man who was deeply driven by justice to be the shepherd of Israel. Moses had stood up against multiple oppressors as a young man, putting even his life at risk. And you can see that in Exodus 2. He looked out for the vulnerable. Moses protected those who were forgotten in his society, the slaves and the women. God made Moses into the leader of Israel. So what brought on the complaints and accusations of Korah and his mob? The Lord had graciously led the people of Israel by Moses' hand to the border of the promised land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, a good land that he was freely giving to them. And they had rebelled against the Lord. They had refused to go into the land out of fear. The Lord had led them by many miraculous signs, many of which established the fact that Moses was God's chosen leader. And yet they still had no faith that God would safely bring them into the land. So the Lord refuses to lead them into the land after they have made an act of contrition for their disobedience and failure of faith. And that brings us to Korah's rebellion that we read about in number 16. His words are in fact hollow and foolish. And we know this not only because over and over the Lord has made clear that his chosen leader is Moses, but because Moses has a heart of love and protection for his vulnerable followers. 
When the people had rebelled against the Lord at the entryway to the promised land, he said to Moses, this is Numbers 14, 11, and 12, How long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. God had continually cared for them, and they refused him. Their judgment was sure. So God promised Moses that he would create a new nation who would follow Moses, and he would destroy the current Israel for their failure to follow him. So what does Moses do? Did he say, wow, sounds great to me. I'm sick of their belly aching myself. Give me a people who will bow down and submit to me. No, Moses said to the Lord, this is Numbers fourteen thirteen through 19. Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people. For you, O Lord, are face to face, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, and that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Moses stands between the Lord and his people. He acts as a mediator. He seeks their pardon. He desires to assuage the Lord's anger at his rebellious people. And he seeks the glory of God among the nations. This is true leadership. Moses should have the respect and honor of his subordinates, including Korah, because he continually proves that he is faithful to them and to their God. He is a shepherd who does not turn and run from danger, but seeks to protect and guide, as it talks about in John 10. But Moses is a man, and he fails at times. In fact, the Lord holds him accountable for his own lack of faith and refuses him entry to the promised land later in Deuteronomy 34.4. Moses then humbles himself. Moses is a leader to emulate. When a leader is abusive of his authority, what then? Is a church leader by nature of the office he holds, the Lord's anointed, as David calls King Saul in 2 Samuel 1.14? Should he be obeyed no matter what? 2 Samuel 1 seems a strange scripture to turn into a principle and apply to church leaders today. And yet I hear this over and over as a criticism of those who have stood against a pastor or Christian leader. 
by calling out a church leader due to his misuse of spiritual leadership, these church members are shamed for touching the Lord's anointed. When a leader has hands laid upon him or ordained, there is an anointing that has taken place, as the book of church order in one denomination states. It says their ordination is the authoritative admission of one duly called to an office in the church of God, accompanied with prayer and the laying on of hands to which it is proper to add the giving of the right hand of fellowship. And they find that in our New Testament. Though he has been set apart for work as a pastor in the church, by those same standards, that same book of church order goes on and says, he should possess a competency of human learning and be blameless in life, sound in the faith and apt to teach. He should exhibit a sobriety and holiness of life becoming the gospel. He should rule his own house well and should have a good report of them that are outside the church. There are high standards for pastors, and we are called to submit to them by the writer of Hebrews, where it says in chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, though these instructions provide a high view of church leaders, there is no sense in the New Testament church that leaders cannot be challenged or, in quote, touched, as if they are somehow untouchable in their position of authority in the church. Church leaders' lives are to be such that they can be emulated by congregant members, not unchallenged. Paul, speaking of his apostleship, says to the Corinthians church in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Verse 1 points to the high position of apostles, not speaking of pastors, as stewards of the mysteries of God. But verse 2 notes the responsibility even the greater the apostles have for faithfulness. Without that faithful living, even the apostles would stand accountable. It is all the more so for pastors in Christ's church who are not called stewards of the mysteries of God anywhere in the New Testament. This principle of authority, do not touch, comes more from Old Testament Israel. In that context, leaders often provided spiritual and political leadership. Take, for example, Moses and Joshua, the judges, David and Saul. But that is not the case in the New Testament church. The theocracy of the old has passed away. And in fact, there is a clear shift in how the church is to now engage the world around them. Church leaders do not have the same authority over the lives of their sheep as Moses did. He was given the law face to face by the Lord. Other leaders in the Old Testament were given the word directly to pass on to the God's people. 
who in turn were to believe and follow the leader appointed by the Lord. However, a New Testament church leader's spiritual authority only goes so far because all of God's people are priests, it says in Revelation 1.5. And it should be obvious that they have no political authority, this is the pastor, no political authority being that there is no longer a nation that is a church as Israel was. And in fact, there's no desire on God's part that there be a theocracy, a church nation in the New Testament. Whereas leaders in the old, both spiritual, the priests, and political, the kings, were God's mouthpieces to his people, the New Testament saint, the believer, has the word of God written both down in the, in the Bible and in his heart and available to all and the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to illuminate that word. Yes, we do submit to our church leaders. Yes, we are called to respect and honor our elders. Yes, we listen to them. But we also hold them accountable to teach rightly and to live rightly. Please do not use the line, do not touch the Lord's anointed, again in reference to a church pastor, particularly when his life of abusive leadership has disqualified him from that leadership. Give your church leader respect and accountability. Thank you for listening to the Pearls and Swine podcast. We seek to bring hope and healing to those under toxic leadership, whether in the home, the church, or the workplace. If you find our podcasts and blogs helpful, consider giving to the costs of production. My name is Kelly Daynert, and I produce the podcast. The music you heard is called Finally, a song I wrote a number of years ago. It is performed by Mingoli, an African ensemble from Malawi.